This is Purple Radio On Demand. Welcome back to Melissa Backpage, where this week we will briefly go through what has happened in the Le Mans virtual last weekend, review Formula 1's feeder series in its first season after the pandemic has started, before introducing the racing data to come this weekend. I'm Ryan Shea, next to me is Morgan Kendall, and let's jump right in. So how are you doing this week? Yeah, great thanks. Um, been a very quiet week, as per usual <laughs> in January motorsport-wise. Um, but... I mean, very hungover on Saturday, so I sat down to watch Le Mans Virtual, which uh, I have to say was an impressive event. It's the first one that's obviously happened since the pandemic. Well, they started it before the pandemic in 2020, and it's the first one since then, but they've made it into a series now, and it was probably it was quite entertaining watching the Le Mans Virtual. So did you watch any last weekend? Um, Yeah, obviously. I actually kept it on throughout the night. Not that I watched the all of it, but I, I just put it on in background just in case anything interesting happens. And like Morgan just mentioned, it is currently a five-round winter series that has already ended with the Le Mans 24 hours as the finale. The other races were the four hours of Monza, Spa six hours, eight hours around the Nordschleife, even in prototypes. I've not seen that race, but judging by the calendar, it will probably would have been very entertaining 500 miles of Sebring and well the finale just mentioned was 24 hours at Le Mans with a lot of wildcard entries from various teams just to you know have a shot at glory because it's sim racing you don't have to pay a lot of the price like Sturry still need to drop quality but the racing's still the same it's still pretty much on track battles around the circuit that starts one of the most famous circuits around the whole world so you know gamers racers alike they're all gonna try to contest for the ultimate prize because this is probably the closest they're gonna get in quite a while yeah and it was um teams made of like both two sim races and two actual real life races which i found was a very interesting concept and i think it worked rather well you had um some drivers who top of their game in the sim world and some drivers top of their game in the real world and you could see that the difference between them is quite big actually some of the real drivers were struggling it was seems a bit of a disadvantage sometimes to be putting your real pro drivers in there. Uh, I think Alex Pelot in an interview he said during the race when he hadn't started yet um, he raced for Team 4 Zilla he said that he wasn't expecting to be fast and he knew that the other guys are quicker than him Um, he was just kind of there to cover the night shift because obviously he lives in America so it's really helpful for him to cover the European night shift but I found it such a brilliant team effort and um it was quite it's just an interesting concept to have those two worlds collide yeah i mean even then you see that you know with sim races and real races there's obviously a few balances like you know Paolo just mentioned that he's not going to be the fastest there and in fact i think they've imposed a special penalty if you don't run the schedule two and two combination i think for one extra sim racer is six minutes penalty and you know, that will be some distance that the extra sim racer will try to be making up because they're going to be faster than the actual racers and 24 hours, I think that's their calculation. And I think a few teams actually took the penalty instead of running an actual racer because they couldn't find one or just had to, thought that that would be a better strategy. And, you know, but some still ran proper races, including a certain 2021 Formula 1 world champion Max Verstappen in his team's team red line well he ran about a quarter of the race yeah. <laughs> well his team ran a quarter of the race so uh, for anyone who missed this quite amusing i have to say um i'm not a fan of verstappen i'm not a fan of hamilton 
I'm just a neutral fan who found this hilarious. Verstappen, he was set in blistering lap times. He pulled out a minute-odd lead in his first stint, uh, compared to some sim racers as well who jumped in at the end towards the end of his stint. Um, he was rapid and really deserved uh, all the plaudits he was getting online and everything throughout the first stint. Then he jumped in for the second stint later on. Couple laps in, binned it, into a wall, out the race for the whole team. Yeah, he misjudged the curb towards the Ford chicane, had a bit too much power on the exit and just couldn't control and just slammed it straight into the wall. And, you know, he's definitely not slow. He's very fast. He's actually 2,000th off pole in the LMP qualifying. So he is a very good driver. He's proven himself in Formula 1, but it's certain it's still real racing. Like, he's not the first DNF because the Mercedes entry in the LMP team actually suffered from an engine blow by double downshift, which means that the F1 Esports champion, Jano Ofmir, couldn't even step into the car to do his stints before the team just retired. And I believe there was 14 or 15 retirements in total that couldn't finish the race. Yeah, and what was quite funny as well is you had the first two, three hours being what turned into a Mercedes versus Verstappen battle, which was quite ironic. Um, Verstappen was leading them, and then they never really fought on track, but it was 1-2 and uh, for quite a while between the Mercedes Esports team and... Uh, Max Verstappen's but Team Redline one two three uh, entry. So yeah, it was uh, very ironic. Fourteen fifteen drivers you mentioned failed to finish or the cars, sorry, teams, um, which was significant because last time they did it in twenty twenty, only three teams failed to finish. Um, but I guess this time everyone's kind of pushing a bit more maybe, and uh, also not ma- had as much time to prepare potentially because there's been real life commitments that they might not have been during the lockdown. Yeah, I mean, a lot of teams also basically got saved during the 2020 edition with two server red flags due to, I believe, either server outages or server crashes, basically, due to the absurdly amount of traffic in its first time running. And so some teams were basically able to salvage some laps, like halfway or throughout the end of the race and reach the finish. So the only there was only three DNFs or whatever. But this one... The servers are a lot more adjusted, the rules are a lot more stricter, and I believe if you don't reach the starting line in time, you're also disqualified, which was the case for the W Series team, the only all-female entry. Yep. It's disappointing for that because the uh, W Series were pushing it on Twitter. Like The actual W Series uh, Twitter account was going to be live-tweeting the race sort of thing, but unfortunately for them, uh, it didn't, didn't happen. Start. Yeah, um, but we'll go through the winners. Um, obviously, we've talked a lot about Team Redline dominating to Max Verstappen and it, but who did capitalise and drove a brilliant race in the LMP class was the number 70 Real Team Hydrogen. So this was driven by Felipe, Felipe Drogovic, Oliver Rowland as the two real drivers, and then Jeffrey Reitveld and Mi- never know how to say his name, Mikhail Smidl, um, the two who were the two sim race drivers. They drove an excellent race, really. They had it covered off as it came into the day, as long as they didn't bin it in a wall. They did a bit of pressure from the number one car, but nothing they couldn't counter. And then the GT winner, you had the number 71 BMW Redline. And this one was driven by Kevin Siggy, um, Rudy Van Buren, who are both... Um, so Kevin Siggy's a gamer, and Rudy Van Buren is a real-life driver. Lorenzo Colombo, real-life driver from Italy. And then Enzo ben- ben- Bonito, who is a sim driver. Um, so that was a winning team in the GTE class. Yeah, both of those also won their whole series championship like in their respective class with the real team Hydrogen winning by half point but the other one much more dominant. Um, so that's most of the story around the race except a funny little interruption during the race because really Van Buren actually had a simric failure in his 
house so he decided to take the alternative option to go to his teammate's house to finish the race and on the sim break so you know the dedication to actually finish is still in the races and you know being able to finish 24 hours along live or virtual it's still the ultimate dream and you see drivers always pushing for it and that's probably what it means for them um so that's all the racing you got from last week if you count that as racing if you don't then that's totally fine by me because we're gonna get some this weekend which we'll introduce to you by the end of the episode but let's talk about the main topic this week being the feeder series review from formula one's feeder series formula two and formula three where we'll talk about the format changes the championship battles maybe and some certain driver reviews if morgan would like to do so so Let's start with the format changes because after 2020 became such a sudden issue, they decided to... The intention was to reduce the logistics pain and make sure that they're still racing for the drivers and make it much easier to manage. So they've changed the format from two races each round to three races each round. They've reduced the total amount of rounds to, I believe, seven or eight, I think? It was uh, eight rounds in total last year in Formula 2. Yeah, so that's that and... Basically, and I believe there's no more reverse grid from the races. Instead, they were all going to be determined from qualifying. So there's no more feature race. Let's fight for reverse grid pole instead of anything. And F2 and F3, as the resolved calendar changes, won't be appearing on the 2021 race weekend with Formula 1 anymore. So you won't see F1, F2, F3 all at Silverstone or something. Well... We did see that in Russia. Um, yeah, I think the only reason was is because the US one was cancelled for the Formula 3. I think they were going to US, but they were cancelled, so they just moved to Russia um, because it was more logistically easy and they weren't sure if the race was going ahead and it was their finale. So, yeah, just thought, bonus fact, you can carry on. <laughs> yeah, but basically the intention wasn't for that, but that worked quite well for formula 3 because most of the season basically started around i think may or june and just end around september october as their intention but formula 2 had a massive shot in the foot as a result the intention was good don't get me wrong like with the new format like there's only seven or eight rounds to participate it's going to be a lot better for the drivers in paper on paper but in reality you have formula 2 starting straight off in bahrain waiting for a crap ton of while before going to some European rounds in Silverstone, whatever, and then you let them wait for even longer before attending Sochi, and then wait for even more longer before finishing off in Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi. So it's basically the same Formula One season, except you don't actually get to race, which I believe it was a shame given how good Formula Two racing is usually, but we don't get to see any of that anymore. Yeah. So. Um We'll move on quickly to uh, discuss the Formula 3. Uh, I can't lie, I don't have significant knowledge on it. Um, we'll, we know a lot more about Formula 2. But we'll start on Formula 3 and just summarise what happened. So um, it was over the eight rounds. So the eight rounds were Catalonia, um, or uh, Barcelona as it's commonly known, um, the Castellet in France, the Red Bull Ring in Austria, um, the Hungar Ring in Budapest, uh, and then Spa-Francorchamps, Zandvoort uh, in uh Netherlands and then Sochi in Russia to conclude the season and Dennis Hauger for Prima Racing uh, Red Bull Junior looked very strong all year he took a total of four wins and won the championship over Jack Doohan by 26 points so it was a very solid campaign he won the championship um, on the first round in Sochi Um, he didn't need the other rounds although the second round in Sochi was cancelled due to the weather Um, 
But it was a brilliant season for him overall, and he's going to hope to kick on next year when he races in Formula 2. Same with Jack Doohan, he had a strong season as well, um, and he'll be going to Formula 2 as well. So both of them having strong seasons, and Clement Novelac as well in third, the French driver, uh, finishing third on 147 points. Yeah, so those basically took most of the shows with race wins, podiums a lot, but some other names were also popping into the scene with Arthur Leclerc finally moving up and David Schumacher in his, I believe, his second season. Both of them taking a few race wins occasionally, which makes headlines whenever they do because, you know, Schumacher is such a name and Leclerc has already had a Formula 1 driver in his brother. So... It's going to be interesting if they ever make it to the top step, but if they don't, those races will probably be something that run just keeps there in the family eventually. And, you know, with these futures still uncertain or whatever, it's going to be interesting to see if they can even perform or even grow. What I found quite interesting as well, I'm just looking at the statistics now, Arthur Leclerc, he took two wins last year, uh, which were quite impressive as well. Um, so one in Zandvoort and then oh I've just gone off the page but yeah he uh, got two wins and his second place last year other than that he didn't finish in the top five once he finished on the podium three times but didn't finish top five in any other part of the year which I think is quite a funny stat but um, but yeah we'll see what he can do next year with his rookie season in Formula 3 itself although he's raced similar cars I think he was in the uh, European Formula 3 I think it was um, ADAC Formula 4 or something a few years it? back like well, I believe 2019 or something that was because he took a race win in Hockenheim and Leclerc hugged him before Leclerc himself been oh, into the Oh, it was the uh, Formula Renault Championship he ran last year and uh, he won the championship. Oh, that was 2020. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, because yeah. 2020, for 2019, he definitely ran in the ADAC Formula 4 because that was headline news yeah. before the actual headlines that day. Yep, so that was most... Although he was only third in the championship that year. Um, in the ADAC Formula 4 in 20, uh, 2019 he was third in the championship and then he was uh, he wasn't actually champion sorry the Wikipedia was lying to me there he was actually second in the um, Formula Regional um, European Championship uh, mm. last season and then this year he was 10th overall in the Formula uh, Formula 3 but he is competing in the Formula Regional Asian and obviously the FIA Formula 3 for Prima this year yeah, so let's just see what the future holds for those drivers. And let's move on to Formula 2, where the season was basically also Piastri domination, I believe. Yeah, so um, everyone right now within the F1 paddock, we've discussed it on the podcast before, believes that Oscar Piastri should be in Formula 1. And I'm not I'm not one of those who disagree with that. He uh, is an excellent driver. Um, so he's won now Formula Renault, or Formula Regional, Formula Renault, I forgot, but one of the Formula Junior Championships, then Formula 3, and then Formula 2, back to back to back, and then he doesn't get a Formula 1 drive. It's a, it's annoying, but it is what it is. But what he's shown on track in Formula 2 this year was brilliant. <coughs> um, six wins overall, I believe, uh, with many more podiums to count going in between that. Ultra consistent. I believe he only had two DNFs uh, and drove pretty much the most mileage of anybody in the whole year. So even though the F2 Mechachrome isn't the most reliable package, um, and some drivers did lose out because of that, um, Oscar Piastri didn't lose out many times because of crashing. There was an incident in Bahrain where he had an incident, I think it was Robert Schwartzman, um, and there was an incident in Baku as well where he went, went out the race. But other than that, ultra consistent and uh, you can't fault him for anything this year really except um, if any of you watched the Abu Dhabi race uh, it was the sprint race, uh, the second sprint race so he just won the championship 
and he pretty much was starting about eighth and he was like I'm going to go all out and he had probably the worst performance I've ever seen uh, from him but other than that you can't fault him all year um, he's been brilliant but he was put under a bit of pressure by a few drivers over the course of the championship. You had Guan Yu Zhou, who took an early lead and actually looked dominant for the first few races in the championship. He was uh, heading into Silverstone. He was something ridiculous, like 40 points clear. And then he had a bad weekend, but Oscar was just super consistent and overcame that. Then a little bit of pressure just from Robert Schwartzman, but nothing really serious towards the end of the year as Oscar Piastri kept just opening up that gap in the latter rounds of the year. Yeah, it well to me it was a shame that Oscar Piastri couldn't get a Formula One seat this season because you see Formula Regional, Formula Three, Formula Two, three championships in a row from all from rookie status is pretty impressive from any driver regardless. Like you don't even see Verstappen like winning Formula Two. Well, he never did, but like sometimes not even the best drivers could do that. And Oscar Piastri just went out and achieved that three years in a row. It's just more impressive, and I think. It's just a shame that nobody's willing to back him up for sponsorships reasons or whatever, and that's I think the ultimate reasons it loses out. But that is Formula One, that is motorsport, and you just see that money still runs the sport. Like you love to see more races at iconic tracks like Hungary, no, not Hungary, Brazil, Spa, or whatever. But safety issues sometimes the track not being able to find money that means those tracks will have to basically abstain from the whole month calendar whereas you see Abu Dhabi and new tracks like Jeddah or Baku being able to take new spots on the calendar and even finale spots because they got the money and that's actually what keeps the sport alive so it's a truth that we don't want to swallow because of us being passionate about motorsport but it's the truth that keeps the sport alive and that's something that we eventually have to take and I just think it's unfortunate yeah. Um, sorry, just I was just looking at Oscar Piastri again, um, just whilst I had a moment there. And something I completely forgot to mention, I'm pretty sure he broke a record this year. Five poles in a row, which I don't think has been done in a Formula 2 slash GP2 before. It while, has been done once by yours truly, Charles Leclerc. Okay. Yeah, in 2017. I think he's got seven poles in total, and five of them were in a row. So... Yeah, it was very dominant for him. So he ties the record anyway. He tied the record, that's for sure. But tying it with Charles Leclerc, I mean, that's impressive in itself to be tying with it with him. Because Charles Leclerc, we all know he's one of the most um, most highly anticipated young drivers at the moment. Um, people on at least Twitter, um, <laughs> the most reliable source of uh, wheel knowledge out there, um, they want uh, think there could be a Charles Leclerc, Verstappen even Hamilton, um, and hopefully if Aston Martin get, and Alpine get grouped together, Vettel and Alonso, but I don't think they're the heights they were. But Leclerc and Verstappen and Hamilton, all t- like people want them to have a title fight because they know how good Leclerc is. And to Oscar to match a record which Leclerc set on his rookie season in Formula 2, albeit um, Leclerc was in rookie season, mighty impressive. And also... Um, Oscar won seven. Uh, sorry, out of the last seven races, the um, this is like actual races, not rounds. Um, so Sochi feature, then Jeddah, then Abu Dhabi. He won four races and took a podium in uh, an extra one of them. Uh, so <laughs> I can't. I don't. I can't really say any more about how brilliant this driver is, but he is mighty impressive. Yeah. So as it stands, Oscar 
isn't having a Formula One drive for next season, but he is going to be. At the stance, do you think like Hamilton's going to retire and he's going to go to? Uh... <laughs> no, but like you know, anything could change. Like somebody could contract COVID or something. And Oscar might be called up for, as a result, like yeah. by by chance. But you see, as, as it stands, as we all know, he's not going to be driving in Formula One full time. He's going to be a reserve driver for Alpine, but. Anything, any other racing is still yet to like presume. Whereas some other former feeder drivers that has made names in, for example, Callum Eilert, Christian Lingard, and even well, infamously Tatiana Calderon have moved to a similar racing series called IndyCar. And you know, it's fun to see that IndyCar's finally picking up some reputations, and some feeder drivers are willing to take the step to another top step of motorsport in another place to see if they can even perform. So. With Formula One being such a tight and cruel sport at times, you know, sometimes the feeder drivers wouldn't be able to proceed to the top and rather have to look for other outings. And I think that's perfectly fine. And we just have to wish them the best. Yeah, I mean, um, anyone who didn't th- doesn't watch IndyCar normally, uh, Christian Lundgaard, if you watch Formula Two, you'll know that he is a very solid driver. He had a very good rookie year uh, in 2020. I think he was um, fifth or sixth, but he took quite a few wins. And he was actually in the championship hunt for a little while as well before falling away towards the end this year he didn't really get the luck um he didn't really have the pace either to compete for championship but he didn't have much luck this year in formula two um i think he finished just on the fringe of the top 10 if not in it um but he went for a race in indycar with ray hall lenneman lanagan racing um i believe it was for i forgot the exact name but it was one of the indy grand prix i think it's called the harvest gp yeah. which was the case from like 2019 or 2020 onwards they're hosting two rounds at the Indy Road course every year from now on. Yeah. One before the Indy 500 and one somewhere in fall. Yeah, so it was the, uh, yeah, it was the fall edition of the Indy, Indy Grand Prix. Uh, and he qualified fourth place, which, uh, and only a couple hundredths of a second off pole, it was one of the closest qualifiers all year as well. And he was right in the mix with the top guys who had been in that series for years. And it was mighty impressive to see that. So um, I'm very much looking forward to see what he can do. In the race, he fell away, but to be fair that's understandable when he doesn't really have experience with the car and the setups and how to manage the tyres it's quite a tricky series IndyCar and very difficult to get a grip of the car and strategy but he did well with everything considered and I'm looking forward to see how he did uh, I lot as well he ran a few races last year but unfortunately for him he didn't he wasn't in a team with the most competitive package so he couldn't really prove what he can do and this year he is racing with Junkos Racing which isn't the most competitive package as of last year we'll see what they can do this year though and then uh, Calderon um, what uh, she's um, racing with Ed Carpenter Racing um, who hosts Greenus VK and um, um, no is it's, it, uh, actually, it's is AJ it? Foyt oh AJ Foyt so sorry, it's actually mistake. one of the even more back markers where the yeah. <laughs> isn't e- it's even less competitive than the one Hunkos probably could provide because sometimes with the with even like Hunkos or Pack or something like that you could see teams taking underdog wins from time to time like Colton Herter started with the Harding Steinbrenner racing and took a win on his third outing so but AJ Ford is one of those teams that just lingered yeah. around the back and I think relied on the sponsor from time to time. But they are signing not only Calderon on the road and street races, they've also signed a young driver in Carl Kirkwood. So it's yeah. interesting to see how Tatiana is going to be able to perform there because, you know, sometimes drivers don't perform well in one series but absolutely blossoms in the other by absolute pure luck or chance. But if she gets drive there, then fair, fair play to her. Like. Yeah, well, I mean, with AJ Foy, um, you have um, Sebastian Bourdais, who, I don't, is he racing there this year? 
Uh, um, but either way, last year he did put in occasional brilliant performances to get some good top 10 finishes. He was never really in contention for any victory, so we can't really expect that from Calderon this year. But I think we could hope that she could get some um, some good, solid results on a, on a day where she's performing at the absolute max. Mm-hmm. Let's just see what is whole. Like races don't start until towards the end of February in St. Petersburg, but it's already getting exciting. And let's just wish all these young drivers the best. Yeah, IndyCar oh. just had their content day this week as well, so the hype is building for the IndyCar mm. season now. Okay, um, things to look out for the 2022 championship in Formula Two and Formula Three. Then any major looking points, except you know De- Dennis Hauger moving up. Well, that's what I was going to say. But um, the new format. Um, well, as as you mentioned, it's a semi revert back to the so the old format used to be in 2020 that you had a feature race on the Saturday uh, with a grid set by quality, and then a sprint race on the Sunday with the grid being a reverse of the top uh, the top eight. This time round, it's kind of swapped. Uh, so it's two races per weekend. On the Sunday, you ha- sorry on the Saturday you have the sprint, which will be a reverse of the top ten from qualifying. And then the feature being the normal grid race. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how that format works out. Personally, I don't. I, it's better. It's a bigger step compared to um, compared to the 2021 format. But I'm not really sure what to make of it yet. Uh, I do like to see drivers get the positions on track rather than um, just qualify tenth and then win a race because, like, you qualify tenth in Monaco. It seems a bit of a of a stupid reward. But we'll have to we'll have to see how it all works out. Um, obviously, in uh, Formula Two is a series that wants to show drivers have raw pace and overtaking. It's supposed to prepare them for Formula One. And let's be real, in Formula One, they will be starting in the mid pack a lot more, even if they're the quickest driver on the grid um, in their first year, because they'll probably be in a slower car. So it really does prepare them by chucking them in the field and making them work through the pack, but also rewarding them for good performances. So we'll have to see how it all works out. Um, What's much better, though, next year will be that we're back to a large number of rounds. So this year we had eight rounds, and next year we're having 14 rounds. Obviously, this time only two races per round, but it's definitely going to be a lot more entertaining because last year, the issue I found, I don't know about you, Ryan, but it was just very, very difficult to remember what happened in the last couple of races because it's been about two months and it's so difficult for the drivers to be building momentum in the championship because they're not racing for so long in between the rounds. Yeah, it's very, well, like like I mentioned at the start, the intention to reduce the amount of rounds and increase the amount of races is good because that means the championship could be run with a lot less races in that reduced logistics pain, but like Morgan you just said, it's very painful for some drivers if the calendar is unexpectedly expanded, and with Formula 2 being one of the feature series for Formula 1 feeders, it's basically bound to start in Bahrain and Abu Dhabi, so with that many with the rounds being that spatial as a result not going to affect, it's just not going to be good for the drivers and it's just that reverting to this means that more entertaining races could be found and it's going to be a lot more better for the championship. Also something that I've just realised in the projector entry release so far, one of the F1 eSports drivers, Chambalaski, is going to be moving in with Sharus. He's done a few, well, he was an actual racist before moving into eSports but you see it's like eSports has moved on evolved to such a point where you know good drivers in sim racing series could actually move back to actual real life motorsports and even perform if given a chance 
Well, let's not speak too soon. We'll have to see, though. He's definitely done stuff to deserve the drive. I'm not really sure. I've not been following his uh, real career in terms of his real on-track career. But if he's done enough to prove that he deserves the drive, I wish the best of luck to him. I, I, I'm excited to see how he does. Um, obviously, there's the relations of, is F1 eSports really representative? I don't think it is. So, I, But I think he's probably had the experience in a real car now to prove that he deserves the drive and I think he's got that extra PR around him as well which would be great for the team yeah he does he's done he's done a few well F3 racing his GT4 European series and stuff but he's got to start proving something Formula 2 now that it's probably the biggest thing he's ever done and if he performs well then hey fair yeah. place to him yeah and that's everything we have to talk about the feeder series from 2021 and what to look out for 2022 when the season finally kicks off again and now let's move on to the immediate near future which is quite literally this weekend where we will see rally monte carlo imsa robo for the 24 at daytona and formula regional asia kicks off all in the same weekend that means racing season's back on and we will finally have some stuff to entertain to you over you know boring afternoons yeah so um rally monte carlo uh the wrc uh returns um i believe they ended their season last november like late last november um, an episode on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, first outing of the Rally 1, aka the hybrid cars. And I don't really watch Rally, Ryan. So, um, I mean, I don't know whether you can shed light on what uh, what's actually going on with the new cars in uh, the World Rally Cross. Uh, World Rally Cross. Uh, World Rally Championship. Yeah. So, basically, the new Rally 1 generation of cars ended the 25 year of, I believe it was called Supercar or whatever. But basically, Rally cars back from all the way up to 2021 were used to be only petrol powered and very powerful as a result. But with the new regulation kicking in, it's now hybrid and you are only allowed to use the petrol half of the powertrain on the actual rally stages. And when during moving between stages to stages, you are only allowed to use the electric part for whatever. So it's going to be a lot more efficient, it's going to be a lot cleaner and basically teams have to design around the electric unit as well because any battery failures are now going to be a lot more impact impactful and you see all these cars are going to be moving back in and i believe it's still the same typical manufacturers in ford hyundai and toyota but all three would have to be rolling out new entries as a result or well new cars as a result and sometimes they would also add in special entries in this case toyota has retained sebojie which he has retired from full-time rally as of last se- season, but he's still coming into part-time rallying and Toyota says obviously snapped him the chance to basically pick up for Monte Carlo or maybe even a few extra rounds this season. And the other big name is Sebastian Loeb to make a return with Ford. It, he's already retired, but he's still rallying part-time from time to time, I believe still taking a over-rally win two years back even. So he's still got it. And it's Rally Monte Carlo. It's one of the most famous rally events compared to Dakar or whatever. So it's going to be interesting. And it's World Rally Championship. So anything could still matter. You might be able to just screw up on stage one and make it up time by time and eventually win it at the end. Who knows? So look, question for you, Anne. So looking forward to the rally season this year, um, who would you say the favourites to go on and try and take the championship? Um, I've actually don't know because you see the most dominant drivers in Seb, Seb Ogier has retired from full-time rallying so he won't be contesting for the championship 
and I don't think Artanak is in the championship entry list anymore, not that I know of. So I think if I want to make a bet on anybody taking a championship, I think it's actually the Toyota youngster Ruben Pera, who has the two rally wins in last season, and you know, with all the resources he's going to be thrown at, he might actually have the momentum to take the whole championship in his, I think, second or third season with the official factory team. It's going to be interesting. I don't know who's going to win it. It's probably going to be very close to the end because nobody's going to be dominant, and it just which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we'll move on now to the uh, Imster Im, Raw before the 24. Uh, so obviously as a Daytona 24, not this weekend, but next weekend. Um, so it's going to be, now this is like the, what would you call it, the qualifying weekend for the uh, Well, the original of this test, well, the Royal Before the 24 was intended to be a pre-season testing week for all of the IMSA teams. So they would be, a, I think they were entitled to quite a few practice sessions, whatever, for them to gather data on the new cars or whatever they might need to. And like from, I think 2019 or 2020 onwards, they have made the end, the final session of the pre-season weekend, a 100 meter qualifying race, which they will host a short qualifying like in IMSA tradition and then you get a hundred minutes from that grid to race for overall victory, which then the finishing order of that race after, you know, you move the L DPI classes, L and P2 classes, you know, sort them out in together, that will be the actual grid for the Daytona 24 hours. So you don't get qualifying for, for Daytona any, anymore. It's the hundred minute race that actually marks the start of the 24 hours that will be coming. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see who's going to try to go for pole or who's going to try to make sure that they've got something to race for or, you know, who might be actually sending extra entries out of nowhere. Sometimes it does happen, sometimes it doesn't, but it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves. And it's also the first look on the new GTD Pro class, which replaces the GTLM class, which means that the IMSA has moved away from GTEs to uh, GT3 cars. Um, that, as a result, has in made a few interests in some GT3 teams moving up to GTD Pro. And Corvette and BMW have rolled out the, I believe, M6 and the new Corvette GT3s into this series because Corvette used to only make GTEs. And since IMSA have moved away from the GTLM class, they were forced to basically produce a GT3 variant for the series. And it's going to be interesting to see how they will fare against the already established Porsches, Ferraris, whatever there might be. So that's all to come this weekend. It's only going to be pre-season, but the 100-minute race is a, basically a benchmark for whatever you're going to see later down. Like Only two drivers probably are going to contest the race per car as per most IMSA rounds, but it's still going to be a benchmark for the cars and unfortunately we won't be able to see the Mansa DPIs anymore but you will still see the Chip Ganassi Cadillacs and all that stuff Pen the accurate DPIs are still going to be out there no Penske sorry but it's just going to be what is to come and that's IMSA for you that's Daytona it's starting to come alive it's going to be great um, the last one is a bit of a minor series you probably won't even see it mentioned in Formula 1 pages or whatever that often it's the formula region of asia is an asian racing series that well for the last while have been run only in Dubai Autodrome and yasmaria in abu dhabi 
that serves as somewhat of a off-season series for some young drivers, which back, I think a season or two back, you've seen drivers like Jay Handaruva or I think some Formula 3 and Formula 2 drivers contest those series just to keep themselves active over the winter because you don't see that many racing series run around. And it's also the only series that's that popular that still runs at the moment because the Toyota Racing Series in New Zealand has been cancelled due to pandemic restrictions for I think the second season in a row. So it's been unfortunate for them. Basically they're running out of options and this is the only season they could do. Um, the established drivers I think have moved on since but some young drivers like Juan Pablo Montoya, I think son or nephew Sebastian Montoya is going to be contesting so it's going to be interesting. The season does kick off this weekend. So those are some racing for you if you're that interested. Um, any thoughts on it? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm just looking at the lineup. So um, some I'll just read out some names that I'd say are interesting. Um, so Paul Aaron, he's a um, Mercedes junior driver. Um, I don't believe he's raced, he's raced anywhere significant yet, but I've, um, I've seen his career a little bit as well. Um, He's been, I think, it's third some uh, in the ADAC. Oh uh, no, it's twenty nine. Sorry, I have to have a look now. Um, yeah, so the Formula Regional uh, European Championship, he was third in that last year. Um, and then you've got uh, Jack Crawford. Uh, you've also got um, a few of the Arthur Leclerc racing in it as well. Sebastian Montoya, as you've mentioned. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how it happens. It's it's a good series. It's only racing in Yas Marina and Dubai Autodrome um, this year. But it's going to be interesting to see how it all works out. Um, Favourites, I'd say, would be Arthur Leclerc for that, but we'll just have to see how it all works out. Yeah, it's, well, young drivers, it's going to be interesting. We're going to be able to see how some young drivers, you know, some of these names will make it to Formula 3 and Formula 2 down the line, so it's going to be interesting. And, like, it's going to be one of the few racing series you're going to actually get to watch right now anyway. NASCAR don't start until two weeks' time. And... Actual Formula 1 pre-season testing don't even start until afterwards. So this is what you get. You look at all the young drivers and you might even find one to support like for the next four or five years if they do well. Um, something else to mention is the fact that Formula E also starts next Friday, which instead of the usual weekend, because they're starting up the season in Adiria in Saudi Arabia, their weekend actually starts from Friday instead, Friday and Saturday. So the first race is actually going to be Friday evening. So... I may as well just brought it early here for any of you guys that might be interested in. It's the Electricity Racing Series, one of the most popular ones. Um, they've achieved carbon neutral, I think, a season or two ago. They were about to introduce a new chassis this season, but due to the pandemic, they have cancelled that plan. Um, instead, we're going to be able, well, we're going to stick with what chassis we have from season five all the way down to the end of season eight. I think it's this season or the next. And they're going to introduce a new Gen 3 chassis that's going to be slightly quicker. I think they had pit charging in mind or something. It's still yet to be undetermined. But that has attracted the interest of car manufacturer Maserati, which means that we're going to be, well, it's still attracting interest like, you know, Audi has departed, um, BMW has departed, their original team Andretti is still in the, in the race using the old BMW chassis that is allowed. But you see, all, like, even though those manufacturers have left, it has still, it's still attracting popularity, it's still attracting interest from the manufacturers. And apparently, 
McLaren would be entering the series like from next season or the one after onwards because they have bought the option to enter after they no longer hold the battery rights I think as my news if my memory serves correctly they used to produce batteries for the Formula E cars but now that they don't do that anymore they are allowed to enter a team of their own so some people might not like the format some people might not like the racing because it's electric it's quiet it's whatever but if you don't like it then so be it it for me is an electric festival that's happy to have racing as a byproduct and i think it should be so i think it should be embraced it's going to be interesting you will get to see the cars lining up in the lights of saudi arabia in on friday evening if all goes well and let's see what's told any thoughts on the racing series actually yeah, so uh, I mean, we'll obviously pro- we'll probably talk more in depth on it next week because we'll be previewing that um, that race uh, and obviously the Daytona Twenty Four. We'll be previewing both, but you'll probably be hearing me have a convert uh, an opposite opinion of you on Formula E. But we'll get into that next week. The viewers can uh, tune in next week to hear Morgs' amazing opinion for Formula E. <laughs> yeah, whatever opinions we have, it's going to be either a very good debate or somebody's going to get heated and exit in the middle of the podcast. What's going to happen? We don't the know. We one. don't want to know. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. But that's all you have for this week. Where we've just reviewed the feature series in case you weren't paying attention for the last half an hour. Um, I think if I think if they didn't know we were reviewing the feeder series, they probably should just not listen <laughs> to this part. <laughs> yeah, so that's everything there is from last weekend and is to come this weekend, even next week. And we'll see you next week when we come back to briefly discuss the racing and look forward to Formula E's return at Liria on the 28th. This is Motorbad Page signing off and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.